Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we uh, continue on in our study of the Old Testament, after taking a little bit of break over the holidays, I, uh, uh, I do want to thank, I had um, all of the staff pastors take a Wednesday and preach, and that uh, allowed me to give my brain a little rest. So that was nice, and uh, they did a great job. Every one of them was just phenomenal. Yeah, good job, guys. Um, we're, we're very blessed as a church uh, for um, the leadership that God brings here, and uh, uh, it's just a wonderful thing to watch and see, and to see all the people that are in process and training, and it's just a, it's a really, really neat thing to have happened, but thank you, all you guys that uh, stepped up and um, filled the, uh, the Wednesday night pulpit. Um, generally on Wednesday nights, for almost the rest of the year, we work through, uh, and have been now, this is our sixth year through the Bible a chapter at a time. We took five years and worked through the New Testament. We completed that. And then uh, 38 weeks uh, ago, almost a year ago, actually, I think we started in January. I almost got, it just took me a, there was some, you know, you can't get every week. Uh, We got 38 chapters in. We're in the 38th chapter now, the book of Genesis. And so we'll continue working on Genesis this year. And then we'll get into Exodus. That'll probably take us till the end of the year. Then we got, uh, we're going to do them all. Um, it takes 15 years, I figured out, of Wednesdays. And so we're okay. We did. And when I started the New Testament, we said that'll take five years. It was like, no way. We did, and we did it. So Old Testament, 15 years. So you know where you're going to be for the next 15 years on Wednesdays. I expect you all to be here. And, uh, and then you know, by the time we finish the Old Testament, that will be a teenager. Yes. <laughs> so um, that's pretty cool, right? And, uh, and then we'll, we'll start again, I think. So... Then that next 20, and then I, I should be ready to wrap it up. <laughs> but you never know. Um, you just never know. So anyway, we're talking about the book of Genesis, and if you, uh, I just kind of want to bring it back a little bit. I, I, and from when we were uh, here every week, I said there's things that I want you to remember about Genesis so that, um, you, you know, a lot of the details you're not going to remember. But uh, I, my hope is that you'll remember that, that there's four main events in the book of Genesis. There's four main sort of characters. There's a lot of characters, but four main characters. And one sort of important concept that we, we will watch and follow throughout the Old Testament. The four main events are creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. And all of those happen in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. We looked at all of them. We talked about them as we worked through a chapter at a time. Coming out of there, you pick up the story now uh, from there of the four main characters throughout the book of Genesis, and they are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Uh, and, and so we have, um, we've already looked pretty extensively in these chapters at Abraham and Jacob's life. Um, now, I mean, yeah, and now Abraham and Isaac's life. Now we're going to be talking about Jacob for most of the rest of the book and Joseph. Um, and a lot of Joseph primarily in the process um, because the story sort of revolves around him. But Jacob's involved very much as well. And then that one main sort of concept that I want you to get, we call the crimson thread of redemption. The crimson thread of redemption. And it finds itself back in Genesis 3.15. That's the key verse um, that talks about enmity and, and it's the start of us after the fall, right after the fall, of the plan of God to redeem us, which takes place at the cross. And you will see that thread run throughout the entire Old Testament. You can watch it. You can watch it very clearly when you know that you're looking for it. 
Uh, and so, you know, and it revolves, you know, through uh, the lineages and covenants and the things that happen. You'll watch what takes place with the Crimson Thread of Redemption. So, um, we are uh, looking, as I said, the life of Jacob and his son Joseph. And when we last studied together, we looked at uh, two chapters, actually, the last time we were together, 36 and 37. And Joseph had been sold um, by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. That's sort of where we left the story when we talked about that. Now, as we move into this next chapter, um, if, if, if you're not sort of wondering, you know, what's going on, it seems like they sort of interrupt the story. Um, but actually, the events that we're going to look at in Genesis 38 um, take place during the time of um, the Joseph story. And so w- what we know is that Joseph was 17 when he was uh, sold into slavery. He was 30 years old when he was elevated to the throne. So there's 13 years of history. And then when you add the seven years of plenty and the first two years of famine that we're dealing with when we, we're going to meet back up with this whole process at the next chapter, there's 22 years that takes place before Joseph is reconciled to his brothers. And so um, what happens in the meantime is we're going to look for a moment here at Judah. Uh, and uh, Judah gets married, has three sons, buries two of the sons and a wife, and gets himself involved with Tamar. And um, that's the story of Genesis 38. Now, you think, well, you wonder kind of why it's here. Well, there's a historical significance to the story we're going to read. Because, um, you know, Genesis, one of its main purposes, it's to record the origin and the development of the family of Jacob, who is the founder of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the, the Israelites, you know, they, they're gonna, you're going to see them in Genesis go down to Egypt as a large family and then 400 years later, four centuries later, they come out of Egypt as a very large nation. And the tribe of Judah is the royal tribe from which the Messiah would come. And so anything that's related to Judah is vital to the story in Genesis. And if you, if you didn't have this chapter in the book of Genesis, when you read about Tamar and Perez in the Lord's genealogy in Matthew 1, uh, verse 3, which we did uh, a few Sundays ago, um, you would wonder why they were there, because, uh, but Perez was an ancestor of King David and was therefore an ancestor of Jesus. And so this story is part of the lineage of what's taking place, but it's, uh, it's, uh, and so it has historic significance. Also has some um, sort of moral implications um, and some sort of practical values because it, it demonstrates once again the danger of God's people mixing it up with the Canaanites because he tells them, you know, that they shouldn't do that. And, um, uh, you know, the temptation when they were, would mix with um, uh, unbelievers, uh, you know, in that period of time, the people that were worshiping completely false and pagan gods was they had a tendency to act more like them than the people of God. We're going to see that with Judah's life. We also see a, a, a huge contrast between Judah and Joseph. Um, in this process, because Judah is not, not a very good guy. Um, but Joseph is really a stand-up guy, and you're going to see that in the next chapter. And, and you'll see, too, the, you know, the blessings that, that fall on Joseph, and you'll also see the continual turmoil in Judah's uh, family that takes place. And sort of the, you, you know, as we look through this, we've seen a lot of deception in the, these these characters of the Bible, they're very a lot of them, especially in Jacob's family, there's been a lot of deception, and it sort of keeps happening. And in this story, what you're going to see is, once again, this thread, because 
Jacob, if you remember, he used a garment to deceive his father Isaac um, so he could steal the blessing. Remember, he put on a a garment. And then um, uh, Judah and his brothers used a garment to deceive Jacob by by taking the robe and saying that that their brother had been killed. Remember, another sort of thing. And in this story, Tamar is going to use a garment to deceive Judah. And so there's a thread that stuff's in there on purpose. Also, I think um, the big, another big thing is this is a reminder of the grace of God because the, the story of the patriarchs in Genesis um, really demonstrates, once again, God and his sovereignty in, in, in human life because the, the men and the women who played such an important part of this entire story um, were not perfect and by a long shot. And some of them were deliberately disobedient and yet the Lord still used them to accomplish his purposes. Um, that doesn't mean that God approves uh, um, of, of their actions in any way. And their, their actions, their sins are ultimately revealed and judged. But it means that God can take the weak things of the world and still accomplish his purposes. And uh, I don't know about you, that gives me hope. Because um, I, I desperately need the mercy and grace of God on a daily basis of my life. So with those in mind, let's read um, Genesis 38, 30 verses. I will read them to you. I'm reading out of the NIV. The verses should show up there. Whatever translation you like, you can read along if you happen to bring it, or I think we put it in the notes. And if any point they differ, it's because I use a slightly older version of the NIV than I think we have on the computer. All right? And I'm stubborn, and, and even though they constantly tell me to upgrade, I don't. So I just say we we'll just have to deal with the problem. Genesis 38, beginning verse 1. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a a man of Adullam named uh, Hira. Then Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. And he married her and lay with her and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was at Kizib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, lie with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to produce offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that his offspring would not be his, so whenever he lay with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from producing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so he put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, live as a widow widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah, to the men who were shearing his sheep. And his friend uh, Hira, the Adulamite, went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, She took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that, though Shelah had had now grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. I'll send you a young goat for my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. And he said, what pledge should I give you? Your seal and his cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on the widow's clothes again. 
Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, where's the shrine prostitute who was beside the road at Anaim? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides the men who lived there said, there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep what she has or we'll become a laughingstock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Sheila. And he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in the womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out and she said, so this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. And then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came came out, and he was named Zerah. And blessed be the word of the Lord. All right. Pretty fascinating chapter of Scripture. A lot of stuff going on. And as I said, you know, earlier, right in the beginning, this chapter, um, you'll notice, you'll see when we get in the next week, really vividly contrasts the the immoral character of Judah with the very moral character of Joseph. You'll find that, you know, um, Joseph is at Potiphar's house next. You probably heard the story. And his wife is, you know, seducing him. And he refuses. And he ends up going to prison over it because she accused him of rape. And here you got the exactly opposite situation in Judah and uh, his choices. And so um, Judah's lack of integrity results in sort of a constant time of family strife and deception. But Joseph's integrity and character will lead his family into a time of great blessing that takes place. Um, the story uh, about what Tamar was doing and, the, and the, 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 the sons having to fill the brothers who, who had died role um, that, that is in those verses is uh, all explained in Deuteronomy 25, if you want to go and read it later, um, verses 5 through 10. And, and the purpose was that a childless widow would have a son who would receive her late husband's inheritance and who in turn would take care of her. So this was something that, that, that was instituted um, in the people of God in the time in Deuteronomy and it was done for that reason. So that, uh, uh, again, the, the inheritance, the, the family line would stay intact and the, the widows would have children um, to take care of them. So um, the the brothers, it was, became, it was on the brother's duty to sort of follow through the family line for um, his brother. Um, and, and so if there was no family line, and Tamar in particular, because Judah's son had no children, no family line through the inheritance, through which the inheritance and the blessing of the covenant could continue. So we have this situation. And so, and, and Judah just doesn't want to he doesn't care. He's not going to give her the third son anyway because he thinks if he does, he's going to die because it's not working out. And so he just kind of sends her away and doesn't deal with any of this issue. Now, um, the, the chapter, when you get to around verse 15 and following, it seems that the, the entire idea of prostitution is written in a very matter-of-fact way like it's not a big deal. Um, and it's, God is going to say over and over again, it certainly is a huge deal, and it's an issue. 
But in, in the, where they were in that time in Canaan, um, it was a very normal sort of, not that it was okay, for, for their um, completely off type of worship, um, they would have public prostitutes that were outside of the temples. And um, it was just part of the process. And it was believed that that activity was, you know, sort of looked upon by their false gods um, in, a, in a favorable way and, and helped with, you know, fertility, the crops, and all sorts of other things. And so um, Tamar sort of takes advantage of that whole thought. And, and um, she, as it's, it's wrong as it sounds, she was sort of in the right because she wanted the, the, what should have been taking place, which was a continuation of her family line. I'm not saying deception is okay, but she's way more honorable than Judah is because Judah's just kind of going down the road and thinks he, she's a prostitute and has no issues with sort of engaging in that transaction with her and, and doesn't know who she is. And so... Um, uh, so neither one is right, but, but you know, if you were having to pick sides, T- Tamar probably has more of a case than, than Judah does. Judah has none, all right? But still, it doesn't justify their actions in the process. But um, I, I, what fascinates me is I hope you catch the, the amazing hypocrisy of Judah in that he had absolutely no issue with going off with a temple prostitute and making this arrangement. But when he hears that his daughter-in-law is guilty of the same crime and pregnant, he says, well, let's kill her. <laughs> do, you, do you get how it's a, that's, that's a huge hypocrisy, right? To engage in the act, but, but at the same time, if it was his family, he's like, no, that's not going to work. And um, the, the whole thing in the... In the, in the um, It's just such a twist of how things are supposed to be. But, but Judah was way off the mark and was not doing his, his obligation in continuing to give his sons to her so that she could extend uh, and continue on in the family line. And it's a very important family line, Tamar's, because it's going to give it to Jesus. And um, so, um, so, so let's just say that Tamar acted more in the spirit of the law than, than um, certainly Judah ever had a, a shot of. Um, because he was not, he should have sent his, his third son to her. They should have made that work out, but they didn't. So again, you know, let me just say that, that when you read that stuff, that don't think that, you know, God thinks lightly of prostitution. He doesn't. Um, um, but it's, it's also a, one of the reasons I like reading the, love reading the Bible is he, it's so real. It keeps it honest. He doesn't hide all the mess. It's all recorded for us to see, you know, the ups and the downs and the in and outs of, of everything else. And... Um, in this whole process, you, you will find that both Judah and Tamar are direct ancestors of Jesus Christ, which is really kind of fascinating in the process. And the whole thing, the, the identification seal um, that she had would have been Judas to authenticate legal documents. And, um, um, and so, you know, Tamar had an airtight case. She, she had proof that this was, this was uh, Judas' uh, child. And so... Um, Again, he concealed his own sin. You know, you didn't want anybody to know about his sin, but was going to just totally reveal hers and, and have her killed. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, one of the things I, I read about that sometimes, um, we, we, we are usually a lot better at sort of um, 
hiding our own stuff and judging everybody else's. And uh, we really got to make sure we're taking a look at our own stuff all the time. But that's kind of the, uh, the thread of Genesis 38. And next week when I said you're going to look at Joseph's life, completely different. Joseph is high moral uh, guy. And, and it seems like he's constantly catching a bad break. Um, but it all works out. God uses all of it. You know, from the, and, and, you know, Joseph, nobody's perfect, even Joseph. Remember I said, you know, he kind of, he kind of antagonized the situation by sharing his prophecies with his brothers. They were all going to bow down to him and they didn't take that very well. And, and Jacob didn't help Joseph's situation any by making him his favorite and parading him around with a nice coat and everything. And um, so there's a lot of stuff leading up to it. But you're going to find Joseph is really a, it's a good guy. He refuses to do what he shouldn't do, ends up in prison. And there, you know, um, he, he's, he has opportunities to, that God uses him in that process and ultimately elevated to the number two position in all of Egypt, uh, only, un, on, only under Pharaoh. And um, God has set that in place. And uh, we'll ultimately get to, you know, the verse where, where Jacob, uh, Joseph looks at his brothers and said, well, you meant it to harm me, but God used it for good. And uh, I like that. It's very redeeming how God used those things. But I think that's enough for this chapter and for this night. So um, thanks for watching if you're watching my video. And uh, we'd love to see you if you can ever come and hang out with us. That would be great. But uh, we'll go ahead and call it an evening right there.